Welcome to the podcast, Euthanasia Pro and Con. My name is James M. Russell. Our guest today is Jeremy Irvine. Jeremy is an Australian film producer whose latest project is Fade to Black, a documentary featuring former Shell, Coles Express CEO, Peter Short, a fellow Australian who died of esophageal cancer in 2014. The purpose of Jeremy's documentary was to open up a conversation about dying and allow people to see the arguments for and against and make up their own mind about whether they supported the assisted dying legislation. Jeremy shot over 100 hours of footage and interviewed dozens of people for his documentary. Please donate any amount that you can to help Jeremy complete his documentary which is currently in post-production, by contacting Jeremy through the film's Facebook page, which is www.facebook.com slash fade to black D-O-C-O. You can also find a link to his Facebook page and his Indiegogo fundraising page, as well as a link to Peter Short's blog on my website, euthanasia pro and con, all one word, no spaces, dot com. Jeremy, thank you for taking the time to chat with us today. Well, thanks for having me on, James. Jeremy, how did your documentary come about? It was interesting. Most of my background is in advertising, and I was actually working on a commercial in Australia for a, a relatively left leaning political party. And one of my cast members actually contacted me after the shoot and said, look, we've got, I've been, I'm a member of Dying with Dignity Victoria. And there's this guy called Peter Short who's dying of esophageal cancer. And he's trying to make a lot of noise. He's looking for somebody who can help him spread the message. He wants to change the law, introduce voluntary assisted dying laws into Australia before he dies in the next three to six months. Do you think you'd be interested in chatting with him? And she put me in touch with Peter, who reached out to me. We had a conversation around different types of things we could do from an advertising perspective. And I found this guy so charismatic. He's such an interesting person, being a person who was a CEO of a $6 billion a year company with over 6,000 employees. um, Just had a fascinating life. And after sleeping on it, I I woke up the next morning and thought, this guy doesn't need an ad campaign. The thing that is really going to change people's perception of this issue would be to really find a way to live with Peter and and see what it's like to be in his shoes. And I pitched the idea to him of making a documentary. And um, initially, it actually scared the hell out of his family. I I said, well, picture... He he was very excited about the idea, but I said, look, if you're going to go back and talk to your family, it's going to be a bit like Big Brother. You're going to have cameras in your faces at this really difficult time in your lives. And they initially said to me, weren't so sure about it, but after getting together and we talked about the logistics and how it all could work, they were really quite supportive. So we, we really delved straight into this into this project without the typical time and planning that you would have for a documentary given the time sensitivity. Have you done a documentary before? This is really my first documentary film. I have made a, produced a feature film in Australia um, a couple of years earlier than this. Um, but this is really my first documentary. How did you decide on the title? Well, the, 
we really we, we threw around some names. We actually came up with a title before we started shooting any footage. I think we might have filmed a couple of interviews with Peter before we started raising any money through crowdfunding for the film. Um, we talked about whether we should have some more uh, shorter, snappier titles, something that played on Peter's quirky character and and name that obviously Get Shorty was taken. We thought it probably was a little insensitive to the to the subject matter. Um, so we essentially just came to Fade to Black. It was something that was somewhat ambiguous and it really gave us the scope to really decide what sort of film we would be making as, as events transpired ahead. Was Mr. Short at all apprehensive um, about having the documentary made? The interesting thing about Peter is when I met him, he had already made the decision that he was going to give himself the choice as to how he was going to end his life. Now, voluntary euthanasia in Australia obviously is illegal, but through the contacts that he made with a, a doctor in the state of Victoria, he was provided with the lethal drug in Ambutel. So he had the we, he had this sense of feeling that if everything went belly up and or pear-shaped for him, he would have the option of taking this drug at the end of his life. And he was in this really... Because of the, I guess, the sense of calmness, he didn't have the existential suffering that somebody in his shoes had. He really had the, the freedom to really live his life how he wanted in the last six to nine months. And I was really quite surprised with how calm he was. And um, it really, I think his calmness really um, helped with the grieving process of everybody around him. He had quite an extended family who I think um, he really helped counsel a lot of the way through his own dying process as a result of the mindset that he was in. Did he take his own life or did he die as a result of the cancer? Um, a lot, the, the way in which Peter died was reported in the media in that he did make the choice to go to palliative care, but um, people who will watch the film will see that there's an entirely different side to that story as well. Now, have you had other experiences with people who were at sort of their end of life and, and were grappling with the, the question of um, assisted dying or euthanasia? Well, for me, I never set out to make a film that persuaded people one way or, or another. Certainly a lot of the support that I received from a, a fundraising perspective or the people that, that got behind the film were the Dying with Dignity type societies because I think there was a general feeling that if you're making a film about Peter Short, who's a pro-euthanasia activist, this film is going to give people the message of that it will it'll generally leave you in a position that you're likely to support um, voluntary assisted dying laws and legislation if you watch a story like this and how it may unfold with a person. But my, my personal experience was relatively limited. Actually, a couple of years before I started making the film, I was with a friend in a different state to where I live in Australia, and he was driving me to the airport, and as we're driving to the airport, he got a call from his wife, who was hysterical. Um, she's called through and said that um, she's just gotten home and her father has left a note that says the cancer is back, goodbye. About 10 minutes later, she's called back, completely shocked. The police have found his car. He's driven at 100 kilometres an hour into a tree, just on the basis that he's learnt the news that he's had cancer. 
Now, one of the interesting things that I learned when making delving deeper into this, this subject matter, what happens, certainly in Australia and I'm guessing in other jurisdictions as well, there are so many people that take their life through violent suicides purely as a result of the fear of what they may be faced when given the prognosis. Um, it's estimated that it's nearly one person per week in Australia who dies from a violent suicide, a person who's terminally ill, and the ways in which people take their lives horrible and really one of the, the ways and one of the themes I wanted to explore is not so much the legal elements of um, voluntary assisted dying should we have these laws should we not have these laws but really looking at the human stories behind what's what happens as a result of having the laws what happens as a result of not having the laws what what's it like for a person in the shoes who has access to this drug regardless of whether they do or they don't take it at the end of their life Jeremy did the making of this documentary affect or change your personal perspective or, or your attitude toward assisted dying? Um, I had um, involvement through advertising projects that I'd been, that I'd worked on working for political parties who were in support of voluntary assisted dying, but hadn't really had any real life experiences. The, the closest thing to a real life experience I had was when I was traveling interstate at one point and was with a friend who was driving me to the airport. And whilst on this journey to the airport, he received a call from his wife, who was hysterical saying that she'd just come home and found a note from her father that said, the cancer's back, goodbye, I love you all. 10 minutes later, she's called back and they've learned that he's gotten into his car, driven 100 kilometers an hour into a tree, um, killing himself instantly. And one of the unintended consequences of not having voluntary assisted dying laws is that people and their, people who are diagnosed with terminal conditions or have unbearable suffering end their life in horrific ways. I spoke to so many families, so many people who have been through these experiences. And when talking with people who are on the other side of the fence, they don't have a really strong answer to these questions. They don't really have an answer to how do we avoid these circumstances. They're, they're very fixated on, well, if we have voluntary assisted dying, there could be these other areas of abuse that may happen. It could be that the elderly are abused. It could happen that the disabled people are abused. But I was really interested in exploring the theme of unintended consequences. What happens as a result of having these laws? What happens as a result of not having these laws? And what does it look like for somebody if they do have access to this sort of life-ending medication? How does it change their experience on a very human level? So my ultimate goal with this film wasn't to make a film about the law and whether we should have these laws or whether we shouldn't have these laws. It was all about how does this look like at a really real human level? Now, in response to your question, how has my attitude changed? Um, I think that it has. And in fact, it's actually probably become less defined than it was before. I think when I set out at the beginning of this film, I certainly wasn't out there to say, I want to make a film that convinces people that we should have voluntary euthanasia. I wanted to make a film that explored the theme of dying, that explored the issue, what does it look like from a real human perspective. But I ultimately, I think in the back of my mind, I felt, well, yes, I support these laws. I support the idea of a law that's got really tight controls, that that is um, has very strict conditions, so there isn't any level for abuse. But as I've gone on this journey, I've come across certain people that have really influenced how I feel about 
how strict these laws could be and um, how restrictive they could be for certain people who have a different kind of suffering. There was a particular lady who we met along the journey who was 90 years old. Her name is Leslie Cunningham. And Leslie was a school teacher. She wrote books. She loved nature. She loved wildlife. And Leslie's long-term partner of 60 years had recently passed away very suddenly, and she was suffering macular degeneration. So for most people, you would think, well, macular de degeneration, there are worse things that can happen than just starting to have failing eyesight. But this is something that was really, she held really dearly as a person who loved literature, who loved to read. And having lost such a close person in her life and having no family, she reached this point where she, when we met her, almost within two minutes of being in the room, she says, I've lost the closest person in my life. I have no close family. I can't do the things I love to do anymore. I'm more miserable than I can, than words can describe. I just want to die. And why won't people let me die? And again, not looking at things on a two-dimensional level, a number of the opponents would say to me, well, people like Leslie, the problem is society. We let them down. We don't give them the support they need. We don't provide them with with the care that society should give to these sorts of people. And one of the experiments, I guess, we, we put behind this to test it ourselves is that throughout the period that we were filming, over a six-month period, whether it be myself, whether it be some of the production assistants, we'd go around to Leslie's house without cameras and just spend a couple of hours with her every week, see how she was travelling along, see if we could uh, re-engage her in life, see if we could provide her with that support that the opponents of euthanasia kept telling us. This is, the, this is all we need to do. We need to support these people better. But the thing is, at the end of the six months, that didn't change the way she felt. She still would say to me, I'm st I absolutely love your company. I love the fact that you guys are coming over. It's very kind of you, but you can't replace a 60-year relationship with, with new friendships at my age. I've, I'm over. I don't, I don't want to live anymore. And she, her position didn't change throughout that period. And even if we did have these sorts of laws that the, that the advocates of euthanasia are asking for, somebody like Leslie would still miss out. So it really becomes more of a grey area for me. We talk to people like Dr. Philip Nitschke, who advocate for rational suicide, and that scares some politicians in Australia. It scares some of the Dying with Dignity organisations because they say, well, the idea of rational suicide, any, any competent adult from 18 years and older should have the right to end their own life regardless of their circumstances without a physician being, being the roadblock. That scares the hell out of some people, but you can also see the merit of that when you meet people like Leslie. So I guess my own position has probably moved more to the grey area than anything before. And in fact, some of I've only screened some early rough cuts of the film to a few test audiences, and the debate that happens after watching it is very much that. It's not, I believe that we should have it or we shouldn't have it. It is very much a, a debate around, well, if we did have it, what would it look like and how should it work? And that's what you wanted. Uh, that was the purpose of your documentary, to, to open up that conversation. Exactly the point. What's next for you, Jeremy? Well, it, next, next year is, is when the film will be released, and hopefully we'll be touring around screening the film um, throughout Australia. Hopefully we'll be do, doing screenings all over the world so people can really uh, see this film and see how it, how it would relate to people in other countries as well because I don't think it's whilst it is an Australian film it's an issue and it's a subject matter that does transcend culture and I think um, towards the end of next year we'll be starting on the next film. Any idea what that will be? 
Um, do have a couple of projects in the works, but um, nothing that I can talk about in too much detail yet. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us, and and I and we wish you the best of luck with uh, your future project as well as Fade to Black. Thanks, James. Thank you. You have been listening to the podcast Euthanasia Pro and Con, and our guest today was Jeremy Irvine, producer of the documentary Fade to Black. The weekly episodes of this podcast will alternate between the for and the against sides of the issue. My purpose is to provide you, our listener, with all the information necessary for you to form your own opinion on euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide, or possibly even change your previously held position. Please subscribe to this podcast, and for information about past and future episodes, go to our website, www.euthanasiaproandcon, all one word, no spaces, dot com. And please tell your friends about this podcast. Finally, Euthanasia Pro and Con is dedicated to my friend Jacobo Louis Fuchs and dedicated to his son, Carlos Fox. Thanks for listening. Hope to have you back next week. Peace.